we're going to look at the words of Agur and Lemuel today. We're going to look at the words of Agur and Lemuel today. Now, we are in Proverbs chapter 30, so we really only have two chapters left, so we're going to spend the next three weeks going through these two chapters. So we're going to look at the words of Agur and Lemuel uh in chapters 30 and the first part of 31. And then the last week, ladies, I promised you this already, we're going to look at Proverbs 31. Okay? Proverbs 31, which, I'll, I'll be honest with you, has been a stumbling block to some of you. And it doesn't need to be. It should be a word of encouragement, not a source of defeat. Because for some of you, it becomes a source of defeat. But we're going to look exactly what it says and what is the encouragement that we can get out of it? And that's three weeks from now. So let's look, first of all, at the words of Agur. We're in another section of Proverbs. And let me just give you some introduction here. Look with me at verse 1 of chapter 30. The words of Agur, the son of Jekyll, his utterance. This is the man, declares the Ethel, to Ethel and Ukel. Now, let's uh, take this apart. There's some names here that are very interesting. Uh, Agur is an interesting name. So we're going to talk about who this person is. First of all, the identity of Agur is unknown. Scholars, some scholars will say, well, it's, it's got to be Solomon, because this is Proverbs, and they're the Proverbs of Solomon. That's not necessarily true. Whether or not this is the Word of God has nothing to do with whether or not Solomon is the writer. The fact of the matter is, if it was Solomon, he would say, the words of Solomon. The point I want you to see is, if some gentleman, some sage, some wise person, whom God used, whose name was Agur, we don't know who it is. Now, simply because we don't know who it is does not take away, because for, for centuries this has been accepted as the word of God. So, let's look at now what, what he says here concerning the message. And he uses an interesting phrase called utterance. And here's the point. Utterance or oracle means a weighty message. Utterance and oracle means a weighty message. So what he's going to give here is a serious talk. The words he's about to share with us as we look at these Proverbs, these Proverbs that he is giving us here, are something that you and I need to seriously consider. We need to contemplate them. We need to digest them, so to speak, with our minds and our hearts and and try to find application for our life because he's going to give you something serious to think about. So, an utterance or an oracle means a weighty message. And so then notice the pupils, the identities of Ithel and Ukal are unknown. We don't know who he's writing to here. We don't know who these folks are. But really, it doesn't really matter because the message is for you and I. What he has to share has application for you and I. So we don't know who he's writing to. And and some who say this is Solomon, the fact of the matter is, in all the records that we know of Solomon and his children, he didn't have any children by these names. He didn't have any children by these names. So it's not Solomon's per se, but these are words of wisdom that we want to look at. So let's notice, first of all, we're going to look at the first section of his weighty message of his utterance, which we find in verses 2 through 9, and it has to do with knowledge about God. Knowledge about God. So let's look, first of all, 
concerning man's ignorance of God. Look at verses 2 through 4. Surely I am more stupid than any man and do not have the understanding of a man. I neither learned wisdom nor have knowledge of the Holy One. Who has ascended into heaven or descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has bound the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is his son's name? If you know. So here's, I want you to see the issue of the ignorance of man. First of all, the confession of ignorance. Agur confesses that he is ignorant of the ways of God. Agur confesses that he is ignorant of the ways of God. So let me just stop for a moment. This is a very good point that you and I need to make. He uses a very strong term here. Notice what he says. I am more stupid than any man. How many of you would describe yourselves that way? Okay, somebody's being honest, but most of us wouldn't. We wouldn't. We would never say that. Now, we might say when we do, we do something silly or dumb or make a big mistake, we say, "I am dumb." But here's the point that he's making here. He's talking about the knowledge of God, and here he is. He's a wise man. I want you to consider this. Here's a man who has wisdom, who's imparting wisdom. And the first thing he says when it comes to a knowledge of God, he says, I'm more stupid than any man. What's he saying here? I am ignorant of the ways of God. Let me just explain something to you. You may be here today, and you may have been raised in a Christian home. You may have been in church most of your life. You have read many books. You have studied many things. You're ignorant. I look at myself and the degrees I have. I can't even begin to understand the ways of God. And, you know, there are situations I enter into where I'm with a family and and maybe a family has lost someone. And the natural question that rises out of the mouths of those folks is, why? Have you heard those kind of things? Have you heard why? Okay. I'm not even going to begin to understand or even state the reasons for God doing what he does or allows to happen. You understand? Man is ignorant of God. This is what I need you to understand. So when you look at your life and you see how God is working in your life and you see how God is bringing things to bring, come about in your life, don't sit there and assume you understand why he's doing what he's doing. Because... All the way in the Old Testament, we're in the Old Testament, but Isaiah says that what? His ways are higher than what? Our ways. See, we try to think of it in terms of our knowledge and our experiences, but can I ask you a question? Does everybody here have all knowledge? Has everybody experienced everything? Therefore, you can comment on everything. I know sometimes people think they can comment on everything, but have you experienced it? So don't think, okay, well, even if you have, let's just take a case scenario here, case study. Let's just say, I'll pick on my friend Bruce today. Let's say, Bruce is all wise and all knowing. He knows everything. Okay? Okay. Okay. Well, okay. Now, all right, so he knows everything that life has to offer. You ask him a calculus question, he'll rattle off the answer. You ask him a science question, chemistry, 
he knows it. Economics, he can just sputter it. Politics, he even makes predictions that come true. We're, we're just joking, okay? All right. So. Okay. All right, now. He's Mr. Perfect as far as knowledge. Does he know everything? Does he know everything about God? Does he know everything about the ways of God? No. He may know everything humanly possible, which that's impossible. Just, just, just realize it. That's impossible. But he does not understand God. This is what Agur is telling us here. Agur confesses that he is ignorant of the ways of God. He's ignorant of the ways of God. So notice something now. Agur then launches into five questions. Here he goes, verse 4, and he says this. Agur asks questions to show man's limitations when compared to God. He's going to ask some rhetorical questions here that are going to show you and I that we really are limited. That we really are limited in our understanding of who God is. So notice something here. Notice what he says here. Look at what the questions are. Look at what he says. Who has ascended into heaven or descended? Okay, how many of you have taken a trip to heaven and come back? Nobody here. Okay. All right. Look here. Who has gathered the winds in his fist? How many of you have gone out there and just grabbed a hold of the wind in your fist and you say, I've got it? If you think you do, you've got a problem. Okay? All right, look at what he says. Who has bound the waters in a garment? How many of you can do that? Okay? Who has established the ends of the earth? How many of you have established that? By what is his name and what is his son's name? So he's asking a question. Who is this guy that can do this? It's not a human, is it? What is his name is a reference to who? God. What is his son's name? Jesus. Okay? If you know. See if you see what I'm saying? If you know. A lot of people are ignorant of this, aren't they? And he's trying to show us our ignorance, and that's what he's doing here. He's asking five questions to show the limitations of man when compared with God. So then notice now, verses 5 through 6, he's going to talk about man's knowledge of God through his word. Look with me, verse 5 through 6. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you, and you be found a liar. Here's a couple things I want you to see here now. First of all, Agur affirms that God's word is pure. Agur affirms that God's word is pure. Let me just stop for a moment. You and I need to recognize something. We're not just talking about the opinions of men here. Because the number one thing people will say is, well, it's a book written by men. Yes, it's a book written, 66 different books written by different men over a period of 600 years. But they were, as the scripture tells us, divinely led by the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting that when you read the 66 books, and they were written at different times during those 600 years, you would think that they were written together because of how 
they come together and how they reinforce each other or how they explain one another. See, the words of God are pure. Now, why am I saying that? Because today, you and I have this attitude in the church today. And when I say the church, I'm talking the generic church, not just our church, okay? We have this attitude that the Word of God is something that we can just take it or leave it. We can just take it or leave it. Okay, well, you know, that verse over there, that applies to me. I'll apply that verse. But that one over there, that I don't really like what that verse over there says because it's telling me I need to change something in my life. And really, I like the way my life's going right now. God, I don't need you telling me in that area. So, you know, I don't really need to listen to that over there. But here's the point. Of course, telling us the words of God are pure. They're His words. It's not a take it or leave it thing. See, we like to, we're used to the buffet. How many of you like buffets? I remember when I used to work for Piedmont Airlines and we'd have a lunch break. We used to ride over from the airport over to the Western Steer, which they don't have those up here. They have them down south. And we'd have this huge buffet of all these different meats and vegetables and forget the vegetables, all these different meats and, you know, and desserts and stuff. And, you know, and I would go there during lunch and be like, I could just take my chair and just set it up there. Don't even go back to my table. Because I could just pick and choose. I want fish today. I'll eat fish today. If I want steak, there's steak. If I want this, there's this. You know, there's always a burger. Always have a burger, you know. And and all of this. You know what? That's the same mentality that you and I have. It's like the closest thing I can think of here is for you folks who go to the Chinese here in town. You pick and choose what you want from the buffet. Or Pizza Hut today, if you're going to Pizza Hut. You pick and choose the slice that you want. That's what you're doing with God's Word. You're viewing it as a buffet. And so this applies to me. I'll take it. This doesn't. I'll chuck it. And you can't do that. Why? God tells us His words are pure. His words are pure. So notice now, we need to take them for what they are. He goes one step further and look at what verse 6 says. Agur warns his readers not to add to God's Word. Agur warns his readers not to add to it. Listen to what he says here. Listen, because you might be saying, well, I haven't added anything to the Bible. Well, wait a minute now. Hold on. Listen to what he says. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. You say, how can we add to God's Word? I'm not coming up with the book of Bruce or the book of Ken or the book of Gary. I'm not adding that into the text. That's not what he's talking about because immediately you can think in terms of that and say, oh, well, I'm not doing that, so I'm okay with that. No. Here's what you can be doing and adding to it is where you are adding what your personal preference is and making it come up to the level of what God's Word is. And then when you have your personal preference, you then impose that personal preference as a spiritual guideline on everybody else. So, like, for instance, here's what it would be. It would be like George saying, okay, you're only going to be spiritually pure in this church if you acquire the taste for sweetened tea with no lemon. You hear me, Ken? You're only going to acquire spiritual purity if you acquire that taste. If not, you're out, you're in trouble. Add to that a cheeseburger as well. You know, just cheese in the burger, none of that other fake stuff on there, you know, vegetables. 
You, you don't need that stuff on there. Here's my, here's my point. When you start imposing it, that's, that's a silly illustration, but here's what it could be. You need to carry a King James Bible. You need to wear a dress. You need to get rid of that hair on your chin. Did you understand what I'm saying? Gary cut his hair, so he's okay. Okay. All right. Do you see my point? See, when we start taking those things, isn't that, we're elevating them to the Word of God and we're saying that's what we... See, now, let's be honest. Aren't we guilty of that? If I said we were adding to the Word of God, you said, well, I'm not doing that. It's not, I'm not adding a, any book to the Bible. No, no, that's not what it's talking about here. But you are adding to the Bible when you start imposing your man-made rules on other people. Because, here, here's what, here's, listen, what, what are you saying, George? Listen, this is what the Pharisees did. See, in their tradition, there was the Torah, which was the Word of God, the Old Testament, and then there was the Oral Torah. See, what they did was, is they knew that God said, especially in a passage like this, don't add to it. So here's what they did. They never wrote down their traditions. They orally communicated them. So they would recite the traditions. And these were the traditions that people had to keep concerning how to live their lives. And so it was like the unwritten rules that were only spoken. And, and therefore they were, quote, keeping the letter of the law, but they weren't keeping the spirit of it. You understand what I'm saying? They were keeping the letter of the law, but they weren't keeping the spirit of it. Because if they had written it down, then they would be, quote, adding it to it. So they didn't, they didn't write it down, they just kind of spoke it to each other. They just kind of implied it to each other. It just kind of said, this is what you need to do. See, this is what Agur is telling us. Agur is not just saying that we need to recognize that his words are pure. So pay attention to them. We also need to not add to them. Don't add to them. So let's go on now. Here's, here's his prayer, man's prayer to God. Look at verses 7 through 9. Two things I request of you, that's speaking to God, Deprive me not before I die. Remove falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you, and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal, and profane the name of my God. You know what? Can I ask you? Can I tell you something? Put a star by all three of these verses. And the church in America needs to pay attention to these verses. Because here's what he's saying. Notice, first of all, the prayer requests. Agur prays that God will keep him from becoming deceitful and self-sufficient. Listen to what he says here. And this, listen to what he says. Remove falsehood and lies far from me. So that's, he's asking for God to protect him from deceit. He's asking God to keep him from deceit here, from lies. Listen, why am I saying this is American culture? What's the number one accepted thing today in our culture that it's okay to do? Lie. In fact, we've classified it now that little white lies are okay. And, and you've done it. Phone rings. 
And now we've got caller display to know who it is. And we tell our kids, tell them I'm busy. Or tell them I'm in the shower. Tell them I'm in the bathroom. We, we tell them to tell a what? What? Can you wonder why they lie to you later? See, have you ever tried to just... No one knows how to... Have you noticed this? I've, I've noticed this. I've been a student now of people for a while. Have you noticed that we don't have classes in instructing people about what lies are okay and what lies are not? You ever notice that? There, there's no set book that says when a lie is okay and when a lie is not. And so here's what Gore is asking. He's asking... God keep him from becoming deceitful. Now he's also asking, this is what I want you to focus on here. Notice what he's saying here. Give me neither poverty nor riches and feed me with the food allotted to me. Here's what he's asking. He's saying, God, don't allow me to be poor, but don't allow me to be rich either. Don't allow me to be poor, don't allow me to be rich. Now, that's almost contradictory to our culture today because in our culture today, everybody wants to be what? Poor, right? What? Rich. Everybody wants to be rich. If I, boy, if, if I just, if I could get a little bit more of that stimulus check. God, give me more. Now, and here's the reason why. Here's the reason. He will either forget God, and notice what he says, he will either forget God or dishonor His name. He will either forget God or dishonor His name. See, here's what He's saying. Lord, if I'm poor, and if I'm needy, then, Lord, chances are I may steal or rob. And Lord, then thus bring discredit upon Your name. Or Lord, if I have everything I need, if i got money coming out of my ears, I win the big one, Powerball, then I don't need You anymore. You say, is that possible? My friends, just look at the church in America today. We don't need God. We don't need Him. Because we have everything. In fact, parallel passage. Go all the way over in your mind. If you want to, you can turn there in your Bibles. Revelation chapter 3. Very last letter to the seven churches. To the church of Laodicea. He says this to the church. You say you're rich and you have everything you need. This is George Cannon paraphrase. You say you have everything you need and you don't lack for anything and you're doing okay, but he says what you fail to see is that you are poor, you're wretched, you're naked, and you're miserable. Sounds like America. Excuse me, the church in America. It is always humbling to me to go to another country. thought about this this week. I was thinking about this when I was walking in the morning. I remember almost 20 years ago now. I've shared this story with you before, but the, the implication of it just came to me. 20 years later, the implications came to me. I'm in Kenya, East Africa, watching some old, taped Mike Tyson fights with a missionary. A knock comes at the door. And it's a deacon from one of the churches. His daughter was playing around the fire. There, they don't have a stove like you and I do. They cook on charcoal on the ground. And she, they were boiling water 
or what they call Sukumawiki, what I call back home collars. So the little one tripped and fell and stuck her arm in the boiling water. And she cooked her arm. They were going to take her to Kenyatta Hospital, which is the major hospital there in, in, in Kenya. But the missionary said, don't do that. Because he'd been there. And they put you two or three in a bed there. They took her instead to Children's Hospital in Nairobi. And that day, they were able, through skin grafts and everything, to save that little girl's arm. This is almost 20 years ago. I was, I was there. And I'm a young guy in college. I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, man, because all of a sudden he got a $1,000 bill for that surgery. Now, for you and I, $1,000 for that surgery, that's not much. But for somebody who's making, he's making $30 a month. That's all he was making. $30 a month. 1000 bucks was a lot of money. And so I'm thinking, man, how's Elud, that was his name, Elud, he's now a pastor in Nairobi. How is Elud going to handle this? And I was totally shocked because here's what he said. Praise the Lord, God saved my daughter's arm. He wasn't even thinking about the death. Why was he praising the Lord? Because in, in Kenya, that little girl, if she had lost her arm, would be reduced to begging or prostitution for the rest of her life. Now, here I am. I'm sitting here, 20 years later, walking on the trail, and I'm thinking about that incident. I've shared that with you before. And, and here, it dawned on me. This is America. Let me tell you how we react if something like that happened. God, why did you let that happen to me? Don't you love me? I've got this bill now, Lord. And there on the trail I realized, here's a man who has nothing, but he has God. And here we are, we have everything. But we don't have God. Do you, I mean, think about it. Think about the last time something happened in your life. Who did you blame or did you praise him? Think about it. This is what the verse is talking about. Listen, Lord, don't give me less so that I would dishonor your name. Lord, don't give me more lest I forget you. My friends, we've forgotten him, haven't we? Some of you are financially struggling right now. Let me just go ahead and step on some toes here. If I have... Okay, let me step on it. You're financially strapped, you're hurting. And, but rather than looking to God, here's what you're doing. You're going on the internet trying to figure out when your check's going to show up from the government. Isn't that true? That's why our heads. Isn't it true? Why? Because we forgot God. We forgot God. In fact, maybe you didn't get a check. You're ticked off because somebody else got the check and you didn't get it. What does that say? We forgot God. See, that's the reality. My friends, grab the reality here. This is what Agur is saying to us. Look, he's saying as he's uttering this prayer to God, God, give me what I need. No more, no less. How many of you utter that kind of prayer? We don't utter that kind of prayer because here's what we're thinking. 
We're already thinking about the next project in our house. We're already thinking about the car we're going to buy after the one we have. We're already thinking about this line of clothing that comes out that makes the current line that you have look outdated and we've got to replace it. We're already thinking that there's a new computer out there and, man, I need a new computer. We're not saying to God, give me just what I need. Let's be honest, we're addicts. Before you shake a finger at a heroin addict who goes to the clinic, look in the mirror and take, shake a finger at a, a materialism addict who's addicted to stuff. That, that's reality. This is what Agor is telling us here. He's telling us, man, because we're going to forget him or dishonor him. Let's go on now. Some observations about life. He's going to give us some observations about life in general. You say, wait a minute. Wow, this is heavy. This is, is this what he said? This is an utterance or a, an oracle, a weighty statement for us to consider? Think about what Agur is telling us here. He is telling us to think about our lives. Look now with me, verses 10. We're going to look at some observations about life. And we're going to go all the way down to verse 16. So notice with me verse 10, first of all, this is what he says. Do not malign a servant to his master, lest he curse you and you be found guilty. Here's some advice he's giving. Here's the advice. The verse is a warning not to meddle in another person's domestic affairs. Here's, here's what it's saying. So, okay, everybody, we all know, because I've mentioned it before, Bruce is a manager. Okay, so Bruce has people working under him. Maybe Bruce has somebody he's dealing with. It is wrong for me if I'm watching him deal with it. And I say, boy, Bruce, that, that boy over there, he's just a lazy bum, Bruce. I can't believe you're putting up with him. And I'm sticking my nose into your business about that person. But what I may not know is this. Bruce is working with that boy. Bruce is guiding that guy to make right decisions and... He sees potential in his life. I'm not seeing the potential. I'm just seeing outward actions. Bruce is seeing potential. And here's what, here's what, here's what Agur is telling us. Look, notice what he says there, verse 10. He's saying, lest he curse you and you be guilty. Because what may happen is two months later I may show up and that boy is the hardest working guy there. You think Bruce is going to listen to me anymore? Tell me who looks stupid now. See, that's the point. Don't meddle. The best thing to do is to just be quiet because you don't know everything. Again, do we know everything here? No. No. Don't meddle, especially if you're not asked. Look at now four. He gets into verses 11 through 14 and he talks about four undesirable behaviors. Look at verse 11 through 14. There is a generation that curses its father and does not bless its mother. There is a generation that is pure in its own eyes, yet is not washed from its filthiness. There is a generation, oh, how lofty are their eyes, and their eyelids are lifted up. There is a generation whose teeth are like swords and whose fangs are like knife to devour the poor from off the earth and the needy 
from among men. Here are four undesirable behaviors. The first one is a disrespect for parents. There is a segment of society that lacks respect for parents. My friends, this segment is getting bigger. And can I tell you something? They're following examples. What do you mean they're following examples? Is there MTV? No. They don't even have to turn the TV on. They're watching you with your parents. They're watching you with your elderly parents. See, they learn how to act towards you by the way they watch you act towards your parents. Does everybody understand me? Does everybody understand me? Again, I'm an observer of people, and here's what I've noticed over the years. I've seen the difference between a family that where a couple takes their children and they say to their children, we're going to go help Mama and Papa. Or we're going to help Nana because she's really old and she can't do this and we need to take care of her. I've, gener- I've seen a family where, you know what, when, when Mama... When mom and dad get old, guess who's taking care of mom and dad now? Because they were taught to take care of mom and papa. Who? Those children. And guess what? Hopefully those children are going to communicate that to their children. But then notice something. If you have a family where, you know, leave and cleave. Don't have to have anything. Boy, I'm tired of my mother-in-law. Tired of, tired of her. Hope she doesn't move in here. There should be a nursing home for that. And let me tell you something. You're communicating that at home and your children listen. Guess what? One day you're going to be old. You're going to be in a nursing home. You know, you know that song? They grow to be like you. This is what Agur is telling us. See, this is undesirable behavior. There is a segment of society that lacks respect for its parents. My friends, you need to teach respect for parents in your home. Let's go on now. Self-righteousness. There is a generation that may observe outward ritual, but not inward cleansing. Man. Hold the mirror up to ourselves including myself here. We are that generation that Agur is talking about. We observe outward behavior. We're here. Well, let's be honest. I just read this this week. Over the last five years now, let me explain something to you. Over the last five years, surveys have been done. Surveys have been done. And always they are finding the same statistics over and over and over. And here's the point. The percentage, when they look at the behavioral lifestyles of Christians and non-Christians, of believers and unbelievers, here's what they have found. That Christians are just as likely to gamble or buy a lottery ticket as an unsafe person. That Christians are just as likely to go to a porno website, whether male or female, just as unchristians. Christians are just as likely to cheat someone, just as unchristians. Christians are just as likely to steal from someone as unchristians. Christians are just as likely to have an affair as unchristians. Christians are more likely to get divorced than unchristians. Did you hear that? More likely to get divorced than unchristians. Christians are more... The only difference between us and unbelievers... You want to know what it is? Take a guess. You said it. We come to church. 
Is it any wonder that we're called hypocrites? See, this is what Agur is saying. There is a generation that it may observe outward ritual, but what? But not inward cleansing. We think the same thoughts as an unbeliever. We act the same way. We speak the same way. Look, if there's not any difference between Christianity and unbelief, I don't blame them for wanting to stay home and get asleep. I don't blame them. Because we're fooling ourselves. If Christ does not have an impact on our lives in such a way that our lives are going to be different, then hang it up. Are you for real about that? No, because I know that Christ does have an impact, but we're not allowing Him to have the impact. We're not allowing Him to have the impact. But see, that's my point. We're no different. So, no wonder they laugh at the Holy Joe at work, because the Holy Joe cheats on his wife too. That's the problem. See, this is what he's saying. It's undesirable behavior. Look here. Look at the issue of pride now. Look at verse 13. There are those who have lofty views of themselves and contempt for others. Man, this exists in our in church. We look down at people because of their social economic status. We look down at the people because of their ethnic background. We look down at people because of their skin color. We look down at people for any different reasons. Because they're union. You're not union. They're a Democrat. You're a Republican. They're a Southerner. You're a Northerner. You name it. They dress hip-hop. You dress like the 1950s. You see my point? Pride. Putting yourself and holding others in contempt. And then here, notice something. Verse 14. Again, boy, we're getting really into it now. Those who exploit and destroy other people are beasts. Those who exploit and destroy other people are beasts. That's what he's saying. Then verse 15 and 16, we'll finish up with this. Four things that are never satisfied. Here's what he says, verse 15 and 16. The leech has two daughters. Give and give. There are three things that are never satisfied. Four, never say enough. The grave, the barren womb, the earth that is not satisfied with water, and the fire never says enough. Here's what he's saying. A couple things here. Leeches graphically depict the attitude of greed with the insistence of having more. Here's what he's saying. Leeches, they have two daughters. Give and give. A leech is never satisfied. It's going to continue to suck blood. Then he goes on and he says this. The four things he's mentioned here, personified as never being satisfied. They're never satisfied. Never satisfied. We're done. Let's close our time.